Thank you for listening to the show. I hope it inspires you and expands your view of what's possible in your journey of wealth creation. My hope is that through a repeated exposure to the ideas and the guests you will find here, your view of finance will change for the better. With that said, there's an important caveat that must be stated. The opinions you will hear on this show are just that, opinions. Please don't misconstrue any of what you're about to hear as legitimate financial advice. Do your own research and don't take anything at face value. Understand that everything you hear on this show is someone else's experience that may or may not work for you. I don't know you, I don't know your situation, so I can't tell you what to do. But I can tell you that the one goal of this podcast is to make you richer, wealthier, and ultimately more fulfilled as a human. I'm glad you're here. Please rate it, review it, share it with the people in your world that matter. And without further ado, enjoy the show. What's up, crew? How we doing? Welcome to the show, Kyle. It's great to have you hailing from Dallas, Texas, the land of the free home of the brave. It's good to have you. Yeah, appreciate uh, you having me on, man. What I've heard from a popular source is that you are a crypto god. And I got to imagine right now you're probably pretty happy because you're likely dollar cost averaging in and lowering your strike price. Would that be uh, accurate? Yeah. When uh, the market fell off a cliff last night, definitely had to, uh, as they say, fire off some dry powder. There you go. What causes that? So right now, the, the volatility in the market is really because of regulation that's starting to come through. A lot of countries are starting to put out news. You know, A lot of times it's dependent on China. And yesterday, I think a lot of the news centered around Russia. So Russia had mentioned that they are considering a, a blanket ban on cryptocurrencies. You know, and it's since they don't know and understand what's going on, they just kind of put this news out and people freak out. They freak out as just the tiniest thing. And so they'll pull their money in and put it out. And I'm sure there's backdoor stuff going on. Oh, uh, totally. There's a really good article called like, I think it's uh, the the everything bubble that I read a few months ago. And it's just kind of like the hypothesis is that everything is in a massive bubble right now. I was reading yesterday, Jeremy Grantham, he believes that the S&P is about to tank 45%. I believe it. Which is going to be quite exhausting for a period of time. But everything's so expensive right now. It's what goes up has got to come down. The thing that confuses me is like, I know what causes crashes in the markets, but when it comes to crypto, is it just liquidity events people are selling or is it all regulation? That's what I'd like to get into a little bit. Yeah. So, you know, I dabble on all sides. So I actually own a blockchain development company. So like we create the currencies and the projects. And so like we're big into the metaverse. And, you know, originally, you know, when you're talking about the markets, you know, a lot of the initial thought was like when the stock market dumps, people are going to store money in crypto because it's be like Bitcoin has become kind of a new store of value. And for whatever reason, crypto still hasn't detached or like decoupled, as they say, from the stock market, which means that a lot of the investors that are in the stock market are investing in crypto are using the same methodology, which you can't. They're kind of mutually exclusive in that way. And so one of the, the big plays that they're saying is like when the Fed starts to hike interest rates this year is probably when you're going to see some of the first big moves back. Like you're going to see the market run again in crypto because now people are starting to get fed up. They claimed that what inflation was 8% or something this year. And you talk to the audience, they're like, it was like 20%. They're like, look at, look at the price of everything. You know, 8%, get out of here with that. They're using like statistical manipulation to lower it down. And it's, if you've read the book, How to Lie with Statistics, it's like a fascinating insight into like 
in most cases, how the government actually reports facts and data. For example, even the employment numbers, it's total trash, dude. It's just is all like a joke. It's a big scam because they're removing certain data points to make it sound like an employment is lower than it is. That, that, like, that brings you back to like college statistics where they call it like why hacking, where, you know, they can basically, you know, move numbers around, remove certain data points to fit whatever narrative, you know, and it kind of feeds back into the crypto thing is that when people feed so much, and they put so much credibility into the hands of the media, who is generally uninformed, <laughs> like just terribly totally. uninformed, they hang on their every word, they take it as gospel. And you know, they, they start to report these things that are super like that are that are misinformation. And, you know, it kind of takes me back to like Ryan Holiday's book, Trust Me, I'm Lying, where, you know, they can make these big grandiose claims, but then they bury, you know, their retraction on like page six, you know, in the classified ads, you know, in between the kid who's cutting lawn and someone who's like breeding dogs, you know, like, oh, yeah, by the way, you know, that wasn't true. You know, and that stuff has has a lot of uh, damaging effects. And, you know, like when we talk crypto, for people who don't understand the underlying technology, they don't understand the utility with that. That's where the sentiment really comes into play with why the new money is moving in and out so volatile because they're just like, oh, well, this this happened. So this has to be true. You know, and a lot of people haven't educated themselves that the crypto market is really agnostic of a lot of things in the country like it's we should be moving there because it's stable you know that there are tangible assets that actually back these projects so these next couple of years it's going to be really interesting just because like what you were talking about i could see the s p tanking a ton i mean there's a lot of indicators and things that are going on within the country and i mean even around the world just in terms of global policy that could really influence that i mean go to any like port state that has like there's like ships there's ships everywhere it's so crazy you know like i told you on the call i spend a lot of time in miami and you see a lot of these just cargo ships and things just kind of chilling waiting to come in you're like what are they doing and the shipyard's empty it's crazy is that just the administration like hijacking imports it's regulation right they they are blaming it on workers but is that really the bottom of the story you know, I mean, it's it, it depends on who you listen to. You know, I, I've heard that a lot of it, you know, they say that it's the current administration that is really driving that. I mean, it's, you know, you, you talk about like the, the current, we'll call it like what health, health climate without, you know, mentioning like COVID or whatnot, how they were saying like hospitals were full. And then if you saw like just before how they cut budgets, of course, hospitals are overfilling if you understaffing, you know, that's that's just simple business. You know, and that's honestly one of the things of like, you know, I like disruptive, I like disruptive industries. You know, one of my, my business partners was in the marijuana industry and he moved into crypto as soon as that industry started to mature. And, you know, right now the world governments are doing a lot to tee up as much as they're afraid of, you know, like the, the crypto industry, a lot of the posturing that they're taking, you know, like with regulations and how they're handling the economy, it's like you're leaving everybody else no choice but to go into these digital currencies to protect themselves, especially the people with wealth. You know, I think that's really the big thing is that they're taking these actions to try to drain these guys. And now there's a very reasonable outlet for them to move their money. And they're like, oh, crap, like, what do we do? Right. What are you doing in the real estate world right now? I know you've got real estate experience and maybe some holdings. What's your take on the real estate situation? So 
I actually just walked away from a partnership where I owned two brokerages, like on the retail side. I do a lot in the investment space. And, you know, that right now, as far as like home prices and things that we're seeing is like they're starting to level off just a little bit. You know, good houses still move really fast. I know that what will be really interesting to see is like once they start to move up interest rates, I think you're going to start seeing houses sit in the market a little bit longer. And like as an investor, I like that because it's going to give me a little bit more opportunity. Last year was a kind of tough sledding because I know you guys do, you know, a bunch of investing yourself. And it's like you get these people that would have like houses that need to be rehabbed, you know, like less than desirable homes. And they were putting them on the market getting, you know, and that's that, that's a margin killer. And then, you know, when you start talking about increased building supplies and um, even delays on things, I mean, right now we're flipping probably between six to eight houses a month. And so, which, you know, nothing crazy, but then we do some wholesaling and things like that as well, you know. And um, one of the things that we have to do is the day that we close on a house, we have to actually schedule the glass installers. So like once we map everything out because of all of the, the delays and things that are going on. So it's like the whole ecosystem, you know, with the housing market has, has been unique. And I mean, now we're starting to see costs drop a little bit, which is nice. It's also coming with the market. It's going to slow down. It's going to slow down a ton. I know that I was uh, talking to one of our attorneys and he was saying that we're following, as far as home prices go, we're following the same inflationary pattern as 2009 to 2014, where things just shot up. And so I still think you're going to see a, a ton of prices climb. I, I think, you know, what we experienced, you know, these last 18 months where houses were selling for all cash, like 30% over list price, you're going to start to see that slow down a little bit. We are headed towards something big. We are headed towards, you know, for the economy, for houses. Because I know even right now, one of the things that's kind of getting swept under the rug is they're now starting to pursue foreclosures on people who were under four parents. You know, they're starting to open the floodgates on that. You know, and there was a huge, there's a huge bubble. Like literally the beginning of January is when like Wells Fargo and the Evil Empire, Bank of America was going to start because they've been trying to loan mod for the longest time. And when you think about it, when you're trying to do loan modifications for people who have gaps of employment because of this, you know, major health crisis where we shut down the economy, you can't get a loan modification because of that. You know, it's like, well, you you were unemployed for six to eight months. We can't give you. And so, you know, these people are having the rug pulled out from underneath them. And, you know, there's there's going to be this huge wave of houses that hit the market. I don't think it's going to look quite like 08, but it's going to be interesting for sure. This is a problem that I think people aren't aren't seeing inside of real estate as it is. First of all, 2021 was a horrible year for us on the real estate side. Everyone was worried about 2020. 2020 was actually really good. Nobody wanted to move out of their homes in 2020. And if they did, they were leaving the multifamily and moving to the suburbs. Great for a single family residential guy like me and like you. But here's the problem. There were about a million houses, single, ha- single family houses on the market in 2019. Right now, there's less than 300,000 houses available. And if you look at guidance over the next several years, they're projecting a 4 million home deficit, 4 million homes deficit over the next three to four years. We can't build houses fast enough to cover up the deficit. At the same time, you have the supply chain forcing the cost of houses up. At the same time, you have inflation, which is eroding, it's forced depreciation, everything. We're in a weird cluster perfect storm. 
the housing market can't correct because there aren't enough houses, but it can't keep going up and up and up because then there won't be buyers. The only buyers you have now is like the, the hedge funds, people like you and me. And what I'm finding is like, usually you can see off into the future and you can see like a relief point, like here's what's going to happen. But there's not, that doesn't exist in real estate. And that's honestly a perfect storm. I have no idea what's going to happen. And I'm just wondering what, if you're seeing the same thing, because flipping six to eight houses a month is fine. And so there's, there's a 4% spread on it because of the supply chain. So what do you do? To me, and this is where I started to see this with COVID, and I wonder, like, I think you're going to start to see it happen more is a lot of like mixed use commercial buildings, because a lot of companies are starting to see because COVID forced their hand in terms of, hey, we can de- we we don't need all of this commercial space. I know, like, even with my my real estate brokerage, you know, we have a ten thousand square foot office in downtown Dallas. I mean, that's like forty five thousand dollars a month before you know other costs. And we wanted to reduce our footprint because instead of having 100 agents come in a day after COVID, it was like 20. You know, you don't need all of that square footage. And so I think one of the things that's going to happen is I think another bubble that's about to burst is going to be like people vacating from commercial space. Because the one thing that I think got left out is that when COVID hit and there wasn't that necessity to have all of that commercial space and that office space for buildings and my brokerage fell into this same category is that the owner of the building wouldn't allow us out of our lease they're like yeah you can leave but you got to stroke us a million dollar check and i'm like well okay that's not going to happen and so i think you're going to see a lot of non-renewals for these and you're going to start seeing really office space start to build and aggregate And I think you're going to see a lot of those buildings start to retrofit into mixed use where it's going to be, you know, residences like multifamily from like the second or third floor up and then retail space on the bottom. I'm starting to see that pop up just, I mean, everywhere around me in Dallas, that's starting to really become, you know, the thing. And so I think that's, if you're going to see any relief, it's going to be there, but I'm with you in that I don't know where these people are going to go. And the thing is, is that the people that are being displaced aren't the ones with money. Like that's the problem is we're talking like middle to lower middle class. And they're the ones that can't necessarily afford what is available. And now you're starting to see supply and demand hit, even with apartments where I was looking at um, a couple rental properties in Miami. And in one year, in one year, it went from like one to $2 a square foot, as far as like monthly rent goes to like six and $7 in the areas that I was looking in one year. And, and they're, and they're renting it like super, super fast. I mean, you're talking, you know, a a 2000 square foot apartment, you know, cause like to me, like where I hang out in Miami is like the the downtown Miami area. So, I mean, obviously it's going to be a little bit more inflated, but still like you're talking $12,000. Oh yeah. For something like that. And it's, it's just, that's, that's going to keep going because inflation and everything that, that these businesses are going to have to do, you know, you look at debt service coverage ratio, which is what your, your portfolio lenders and your commercial lenders are going against the, the, the debt service coverage. You have to escalate rent prices to cover the escalation of build costs. And so that just started. We haven't even seen anywhere close to what is about to happen in terms of rent prices. So you're dead on on that. You know, you talk about a lot of the economic factors is that, you know, now we're going to start to see interest rates rise because, you know, I think that the Fed mentioned, I think it was like five interest rate hike this year. So, you know, now they're focused, which is crazy that we were talking about the statistics around unemployment because they're like the administration is going from focusing on unemployment to inflation. And it's just like, 
you guys are literally like trying to plug every hole that's going on right now and you haven't even fixed one. And the thing that's really going to bite them in the ass is, you know, now you're raising all of these rent prices and now you have inflation that's outpacing wage increase. And there's already a huge wage disparity that's going on. And you're about to see, honestly, like a mass degradation in just standard of living across the United States. And, you know, what's you know, if you're playing like big, you know, big conspiracy theory and all of this is like, what, what is one of the only ways out in something like that? And like, you're talking like socialism, because now you have the only rip cord that people can see that's being pulled is almost complete and utter dependency on the government, because they're really the only leverage arm that can let people off of the hook for what's going on. I don't even think you have to read too far into the tea leaves to see that that's just a logical outcome because it's, you know, when times of crisis arise, what do people do is they look at the government, they look towards the government for some sort of way out where you have these two separate groups of people, you know, you have guys like ourselves that are like, you know, like, you know, screw you guys. <laughs> We're like, we'll, we'll make our own way. We've got our own money. We've got our own resources and assets, but you know, really the large majority of people look for some, you know, I mean, look, like, you've never seen people so happy to get a $1,200 check. Like, <laughs> and like what, like you can't do anything with it. You can't even afford rent with it. Yeah. And so there, there's going to be, you know, that sort of dependency, you know, and it's going to really influence political ideology. You know, it's, it's going to force conservatives off their box a little bit because there's got to be political pandering that happens because the economy becomes just such a, I don't know, a dumpster fire, if you will. Yeah, 100%. So this picture on the screen is why there is no bubble right now. So what this is showing for people listening to the podcast and not online with the video is this is showing the trend of existing home availability versus sales median price. Look at 2000 and what, what starts happening in 2004, 5, 2006. It peaks out at like seven to nine, where it's like, there's so much supply and the median price is declining. That's where you have bubble territory because, and this is when banks were, were un, they weren't even underwriting loans. They're just like, you get a house, you get a house, you get a house. Like everybody has a free house. We don't care how much income you make. Where we are right now is the exact opposite. The prices are skyrocketing. There are no homes. You can't have a bubble if, if the supply is so low based on you know new availability on the supply. Now this graph in four years is going to flip. That's when you when I'm going to sell everything because as soon as something becomes oversupplied, the demand won't be able to keep up. And so, I just wanted to kind of end the real estate discussion right there. Let's talk about real quick cryptocurrency and how you how you view that integrating into. I, I saw this the other day that the the Federal Reserve is kicking around their own digital currency. Do you think that the United States will adopt cryptocurrency or will they try to commandeer? Or, or build their own thing? Like, what's the play for the Federal Reserve? Yeah, so there, there's actually been talk with that. So I was reading an article, I think it was like two weeks ago that I read it. Um, they started to do some FOIA requests around, I think it was the Ukraine. And what the, the FOIA requests basically unearthed was that um, during the Trump administration, Jared Kushner was actually very progressive with wanting the U.S. to start a digital asset. And I think you're going to see a lot of um, like what they call them, like CBDCs, which is central bank digital currencies. 
And I, I do believe that the U.S. is going to move to a model like that, because honestly, I think it's one of the only ways that you can kind of correct this problem that we have. And so, so you know, China's releasing their digital yuan in the Olympics, whenever the Olympics start, I think it's like February or something like that is when they're going to, you know, release it for the world. You know, but I, I do believe that I think they're going to try to develop their own, but I think they might commandeer something at the same time, you know, because at the same time, how do you instill trust? You know, they're trying to figure out the the vehicles and the mechanisms to be able to leverage it properly. But I think that is the way forward. And I have some friends that are actually on the Hill and advise policy um, for crypto on the hill. And they're a lot further down the road on uh, the creation of a digital currency. Um, And I'm sure you've probably even read this, is that the first stimulus package that the Trump administration had signed through actually dedicated a portion of that to the creation of a digital currency in the United States. Like that was one of the things that was baked into the very stimulus package. And so it just depends on where the current administration is in terms of their acceptance in it. And I know right now they're kind of back and forth. Whatever regulation that they enact on cryptocurrency is is going to be what starts to pave the way for the U.S. to create their own. Uh, It's kind of how I see that because you're starting to see it pop up in different countries around the world. I know like Romania is in the process of doing it, Estonia, you know, some of them and some of the countries, instead of making their own digital currency, you know, they're using like, you know, you have Uruguay and El Salvador that have adopted Bitcoin as like, it's, they still have, they still go off the US dollar, but they you're using Bitcoin heavily, you know, and that's where, where they're betting to pull them out. And so, yeah, it's, it's really fascinating as to, to how they're, they're moving towards it, but it's, it's a crazy train that can't be stopped. The crypto economy as a whole, I guess, has been something that is, it's gone unchecked for so long that it's too powerful for them to step in and try to regulate it in the way that they want. There's a lot of very, very powerful people that uh, have very, very, very large sums of money in crypto that you know these governments are now kind of rendered powerless in that you know once the U.S. starts to try to regulate it, there's a lot of deep pockets. I mean, you want to see super PACs that pumping money into Capitol Hill, just wait until the crypto guys start funding a lot of these organizations. Because a lot of these politicians don't understand that once they start messing with crypto, they're actually messing with their base that gives them money through other vehicles. Yeah. Did you watch the Congress hearing on Bitcoin and proof of work? A little bit. It's funny. So my friend who consults on the Hill was um, asking me if I saw it as well. And I go, I haven't had a chance to really look into it. And he goes, he goes, I'll summarize it for you. He goes, do you remember the Facebook hearings? And I was like, yeah, I do. And he goes, this was even more laughable. The questions that they were asking was was very uneducated. And I said, that's honestly terrifying because these policymakers, like their knee-jerk reaction is just to, like, they'll make uneducated assumptions and regulate based off of that. And that's really what's terrifying is that they're, they're not even willing to learn this stuff how it works, how it operates, you know, because I mean, they've already signed some stuff in the policy that like they, they need to come up with some sort of regulation by like 2024. And that'll be amended every which way, you know, and especially, you know, after midterm elections this year, you're going to see more balance in, in the House and the Senate. I think you're going to see more conservatives come in just because, you know, people, we don't know what we want. And so, you know, we go on these big drastic swings. And so I think, 
you're going to see some more crypto favorable policy coming out of these elections, this, this election cycle. I think you're going to start to see the development of a digital currency probably within the next two years, two to three years, honestly. It's, it's moving that fast and the economy needs it. Right now, there's too much money sitting in the hands of people who don't understand what's going on. And you can tell when you, there's a lot of different places that you can get this data, but I'll just tell you one of them that's like, I built a team that basically consumes four or 500 pages of news every single day. They send it to me. It's called Market Movers. You got to sign up. It's free. Um, I don't know if you already are. If you go to marketmoversdaily.com, you can just plug your email in. Uh, But one of the things that I'm seeing again and again, and I'll just read this straight from the source, which is on Inman. 65% 65% of homes priced between 800,000 and a million are receiving multiple offers, while only 55% of homes between 200 and 800 are receiving the same in, uh, interest. What that means is that the bidding wars are starting to hit luxury market. There's more bidding wars at the 800 and above than there is the 200. And so there's a lot of money that people are just trying to... And you also see this when you see how many secondary homes are being purchased right now. If people aren't buying their first primary. A lot of people are buying second and third and vacation homes. The the problem that I see is some of this money, you know that you know that the the movement of money from economy to economy and place to place, it, it has to be regulated based on intelligence and IQ and rules or thesis. And there's so much money flooding the zone from people who don't understand what's going on that it's causing irrationality in the markets. It's really irrational. Like when you look at why certain things are going up and down, it's not based on the company's earnings. It's just based on random emotion. I think we're in a unprecedented territory where it's just like the financial intelligence of the nation is so low, while at the same time, there's so much money in it. It's like all bets are off. It's really confusing from my standpoint. Yeah, it's from a lot of standpoints. So, you know, to to kind of correlate the two even is that we're seeing this in crypto, especially. So, you know, like I mentioned, like I'm in really invested heavily in the metaverse projects, like creating some very, very large projects. And, you know, just just in cryptocurrency alone, so it's not necessarily metaverse related, but just in, in 2021, there was $30 billion of venture capital money invested into crypto last year alone. And to kind of paint a picture as to like all of this money that's being spent kind of irrationally is that that was as much money from 2009 to 2020 combined. And to your point, like there's this FOMO, you know, this fear of missing out, whether it's, you know, it's like the luxury markets, there's, and these guys are looking for places to put their money because I think at the same time is that just because they have money does like a lot of people make this like neg- this, this correlation that because you have money that you're like some sort of like genius or you're smart, you know, a lot. And I mean, and you know this, you deal with a lot of people with wealth. A lot of these guys are just like victims of like fortunate circumstance of they were in the right industry at the right time, or they just don't spend their money. And, you know, it was just like, yeah, I don't know. I woke up one day and a hockey stick and like good things happened. So they're still heavily influenced by like what's going on, everything that's being reported. So, you know, in the housing market, you know, they're hearing things because what is the one thing that people with like when you start to get money are told? Everyone who has some sort of generational wealth has a real estate portfolio of some sort. Like, so they're like, oh, okay, you know, have money, we'll buy house. <laughs> like, that's, that's how it's going with them. And even with crypto, you know, in, in the metaverse space right now is that like they're in an interesting time frame is that it's very much like the dot com boom when it comes to like really the metaverse is the flavor of the week right now. NFTs, all of these crazy things, understanding like what all that is. And you're getting these people that 
are just investing money because they don't want to miss out on the next big thing is like they see these dog coins they see all of this going on like, yeah they're like I, I missed out on the dot-com boom i don't want to do that now you have silicon valley that is getting into the mix and they're just like so for them their big boom was 2011 for mobile app game development and you know that's really when the app stores became a big thing and everyone was putting out games and they're just making money hand over fist so you have like a convergence of that. You have all of these institutional money investors that are like, oh my God, we're in the midst of another dot-com boom. And now you have a whole different industry, the, the gaming industry, that's just like, oh man, we're, we're having, we have another game boom going on right now. And so, yeah, there's all of this money that's just sitting out there. I can tell you from, you know, even a crypto project standpoint is raising money for a project right now is... I mean, absolutely insane. I, I jump on a phone call with these guys. I show them proof, legitimate proof of concept. And you've, I'm, I'm sure you've raised money before, you know, to some level. And like, it could be a pain in the ass, you know, like whether you're like trying to, you know, build up, you know, private money for real estate and you've got to educate them as, as to what's going on. I'm giving five minute pitches, answering very generic level questions for crypto and like these guys aren't even asking for a basic agreement before they send over like multiple six figures seven figures that day for a project and it's 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 absolutely wild dude it's the same in real estate where it's like do you want to see like a performa or do you, do you want to see a plan it was like no it's real estate's a good investment it's like there's so much money in dry powder that's ready to go and it's kind of a weird time, but it's an exciting time. But it does make you wonder, like, are the next few years going to be a little bumpy? It could be. I mean, one of the things that like we're, we're getting into is even like the tokenization of real estate. So marrying the two, because there, there's a lot, you know, especially like with like syndication, um, you know, the things that you're able to do by leveraging cryptocurrency and real estate is you know because you're able to put the, the the information and the data on the blockchain, it's actually a much more transparent experience than you know the actual transaction itself. And you know one of the things that we're doing is we're in the process of building a marketplace to essentially fund projects. So you know you get your development that comes in. So like we're going to be focusing mainly on commercial and like larger like multifamily developments, you know, like hundred plus complexes, um, like skyrise buildings and things like that. So like, this is even a huge, like we're able to go right at the banks with this in that we're able to tokenize a project, you know, so if you incorporate it as an LLC and you're able to sell pieces of interest within there and essentially crowdfund that way, you're able to, you know, you send out the underwriting for the deal of like, this is what it is. And the big play to these developers is that we're able to fund these projects without them incurring any debt. So, you know, imagine having a clean balance sheet when you are, you know, putting these projects up. And at the same time, everyone's money is protected, you know, one, because it's openly viewable on the blockchain, but then you're able to set it up where, you know, this is just kind of like what we're doing is, you know, like the token creation for a project is that there's there's different levels of people that want to get involved. You know, they want, you got your preferred return guys, you want your ones that want the, the backside equity and then a hybrid. And so we're able to set up a model that allows them to basically pick which entry point they want to get in to on these projects. And, you know, that's going to be one thing that I think is going to help sidestep 
a lot of the problems that people are encountering with the banks and where all of those prices are going is I think you're going to see crypto come to the rescue for a lot of this is because you still have to go through KYC and AML and, you know, be an accredited investor. But at the same time, one of the things that a model like the one that I'm talking about affords people is that it lowers the barrier to entry for Joe Q public to get into quote unquote real estate investment. Cause you know, a lot of these like syndications, you know, if you're going to syndicate a property, it requires X amount of dollars and it's just, it's very prohibitive to, to people. And so I think it's that that's kind of where, like when I mentioned before, my whole thought on like mixed use buildings and things, I think that's really where it's going to go. And I think you're going to see a lot of these projects funded through crypto in real estate. And a lot, it just has to do with what you're talking about. They have way too much money. They have way too much money. And once they start to see that crypto is a good and safe vehicle for them to park it in, and you can buy real estate with it, I think that's where you're going to see things really, really start to turn like for the better. Have you gotten into thinking about like how would one build a DAO for real estate? Because then you sort of bypass accreditation law. I do that. You do. Okay. Gotcha. So you don't have to go through uh, investor accreditation. You know, so one of the things that you run into when you are like setting up these current, like these cryptocurrencies is you really tell a fine line and making sure that you don't sell a security. And, you know, there's a lot of, I mean, I'm, I'm going through this right now with like our fundraisers. Like I have to, anyone who invests in one of our projects, like I have to send them two different forms of like, you're giving us our money and you're acknowledging that like, it's not a security, like it's two different forms. And, you know, with, with DAOs, because they're just governance, you know, you're starting to see a lot. I mean, shoot, I was working with a DAO that <laughs> they were selling fractionalized interest in a meme that they, like the original Doge meme, they raised $44 million by selling fractionalized interest in it. Yeah, it's crazy. But what you're talking about has a lot of credence is because these DAOs are able to raise a lot of money. And because of the governance on there, because I mean, it's really just, you know, DAOs are essentially how governments are supposed to function. <laughs> I mean, in essence, in, in the most pure form. I mean, I have a call in a week to talk with a bunch of companies that are going to start setting up DAOs so that their company can function. You know, that, that's what they're trying to move towards. And so it, it's truly fascinating as to what you're able to do with these forms of governance, because there's different ways that you can structure the DAO as well. You know, there's, there's different ways that you can do voting. And I mean, they're, they're talking DAOs being used right down to like essentially functioning as like a, a, a human resource overlord of, hey, Taylor, your performance has been, you know, whatever within the company, we're going to put it to the DAO to see what needs to be done with regards to your employment. So, you know, to your, to your real estate point, yeah, it does, it does circumvent that a lot. As soon as, as soon as big business starts to understand the utility of a DAO and, and how it works, I mean, shoot, right now, to give you another example is like, I consult on metaverse projects outside of developing my own. And we don't build a game now without a DAO. So there's like a, an in-game token and a DAO. And I mean, you're starting to see DAOs even creep into sports teams. The English Premier League is a really good example of this. And they, they, they have a DAO that function as, functions as a community token that it allows the community to essentially vote on non-essential business function. 
you know, and for the the games that we're putting out, they're allowed to vote on the direction that the game takes. Do you want to see this gameplay? Do you want to see these characters um, put in? Do you want to see development of this? Hey, this event occurred. Do we want to do something like this again? So to your original point, like in the eyes of the government and all of the things that it satisfies, DAOs are truly a vehicle that, you know, give us a unique option to do a lot of really cool things. And, you know, I, I think that that really is, you know, when we, you know, especially, you know, even bringing it back to, to real estate is going to be one of those things that kind of, it's going to be that lifeline. I think you're going to see it kind of come out of left field and, and be one of those things that helps us exacerbate that problem with the way that these funds are raised you're more willing, you might be willing to spend the increased costs because now you're not having to worry about the costs of lending and, you know, dealing with the banks. So when you start to cut those percentage points out, you know, your margins start to increase a little bit. So what you're really going to see as crypto takes off is the banks fight back because the need for them is now (laughs) starting to become fleeting and they're terrified. One of the things that uh, my, my friend on the Hill was talking about is he goes, the Coinbase is publicly traded. You know, they had their, their IPO and they, they went through all of that. He goes, their, their stock price is so deflated because the banks have put in shorts and other things, other mechanisms to ensure that they don't become a juggernaut on the stock market because they know that if this runs and it becomes as big as they know that it is, it, it's lights out for them. In, in, in a lot of ways. Yeah, 100%. Uh, another cool opportunity, we'll wrap this up here pretty quick, just because I know you're a busy guy and you got work to do, money to make. But another opportunity I think people are starting to pay attention to inside of real estate is the short-term rental market. When you look at in, investing, it's all about like trying to figure out what's happening next. And also there's another thing called convergence, where it's just like multiple pieces of progress are converging on one another at the same time. What we're doing is we're starting to actually do develop, we're developing short-term rentals. Three years ago, banks did not really recognize short-term rentals as a legitimate long-term asset. You had the PG it and yeah, they, they wouldn't do non-recourse and they just didn't want to do portfolio lending. What we're finding now with our banks is they're like, buy the whole thing, develop the whole thing, we'll portfolio loan the whole thing. And I think that's because if you look at like your Airbnb, your VRBO, like We've sort of survived. We've seen them go through a, a downturn. Airbnb right now is one of my favorite stocks, my favorite companies. They just released this, I think it was this week, quarter three bookings, 50% versus 44% in 2019. So you got to think 2019 is before COVID. It's before the pandemic. And the renting, the booking averages are up six percentage points. And I think that that stock is going to do great. I think the company is well run. And I also think that it's an opportunity for investors to break into the short-term rental market because that seems to be where the opportunity is in the future if you're wanting to maximize cash flow, things like that. Are you invested into the short-term asset class right now or wanting to get to? A little bit. So we have a couple short-term rentals in Arizona and then some in Miami, north of Miami, like in the Hollywood Beach area. You know, I, I totally agree because one of the things too is, I mean, when you just, you know, when you look at it from a market sentiment standpoint from short-term rentals is work from home, you know, as technology starts to increase, like your dependence on staying in one place for any length of time is now minimized. And 
you know, the, the digital nomads, you know, the, they're, they're the one thing. But, you know, for me is like, I prefer to stay in an Airbnb versus a hotel. I, I like the amenities. I like being able to pick, you know, the, the locations are a lot more prime. And the thing is, is that when you look at, you know, even in terms of like rent rate and your, your mark, your, your rent caps is that it doesn't take as much in a short-term rental to achieve, you know, that eight to 10% cap, you know, that holy grail, like that 10% cap that everyone shoots for, you know, cause I mean, even a lot of people are, you know, happy with six to 8% rent caps and to hit even that you're only needing like a 40% occupancy on a short-term rental because you're able to charge that premium price even out even after clearing your your overhead expenses of you know the having to get the the services and things like that run through there but i, I think you're going to see a huge increase and what'll be really interesting and why i think there's going to be you know to your point of a huge increase in the stock it goes back to what we talked about before is that the costs as an investor, as an owner to afford these places is going to go up. And what's going to happen with Airbnb stock when they have to charge more per night because of just general inflation and things, their stock's going to go up accordingly. And so it doesn't take a rocket scientist to, to figure out. It's like, oh, wait, you know, like when these things like you're talking about, like points of convergence and things, there's a lot of different things that are, you know, pointing to that. And it, it's funny because like when we're shopping around properties in like vacation areas, a lot of owners are unwilling to give it up because of that. Is like they're starting to see the same opportunity and they're out there. I know that they're out there, but a lot of like property management companies turning their focus solely towards short-term rentals, you know, because as a property management company, like they only make so much money, you know, for doing this, but they make exponentially more money by servicing short-term rental properties than they do, you know, just your traditional year-by-year lease. I think that'll be the next step. I think, you know, especially for an Airbnb, getting into becoming more service, like before becoming more service-based. I know that that was really what Zillow was trying to do. Or I think they're still trying to do it for the most part is they're not so much worried about the actual house asset itself, there's more money made outside of the house than there is on the house itself with the different services and things. And so if you can get your claws into all of that, it's huge. And so, I mean, the the same can be said with, you know, short-term rentals is like, if you can become own a bunch of short-term rentals and own a property management company that services short-term rentals and you're, you're going to be wealthy. (laughs) Yeah. And dude, here's how to even take it a step further. Because you're right. I started in property management back in 2012, 2013, and we had 6,000 properties in Memphis, Tennessee. And that's kind of how I cut my teeth in real estate, which is like the worst part of real estate to cut your teeth in. But it, it was very beneficial for me to start there. You're going to make 8 to 10% of gross on single family long term. And these short term companies are making 20 to 30% of spread on short term rentals. So if I were getting started like today inside of uh, short-term rentals and I wanted to get in, if you were able to start a management company that also, you know, go out, go on Flippa or whatever, buy a cleaning company for 20 grand, you know, and service a market where you can do property management and cleaning because the cleaning fees are insane. Like I was blown away at how much we put into cleaning these properties because the turnover is twice a week, you know, like you got to get cleaners out there. The revenues from doing this, you will be able to buy all of the houses that you want. That's how you get started. You build a service brand. You take the cash flows from the service brand. You put it into 
long-term assets. There's so much opportunity in this sector. And so hopefully somebody's listening to that who will have a great idea and go start something. And if you're in any of our markets, let me or Kyle know because we'll probably hire you. 100%. Anything else you want to you share before we wrap up and you get on to the rest of your day printing dollar bills? Where do you want us to, to end? You know, the, the biggest thing is like, if anybody listening to your and, I conversa- your and I's conversation is one, you know, turn off the news first and foremost. And right now there's a lot of signs, very logical signs of where to make your next move. You know, you heard Taylor and I really outline a lot of the points that we made and like the quote unquote opportunities that we talked about. Like when you just do simple math, around the things that we talked about, you know, you talked about the service-based business. I mean, you literally took just one step further of like, be the guy to do the cleaning. It has nothing to do with conspiracies. It has nothing to do with political affiliations or anything. Cause this is all agnostic. Like the people who make money, like, you know, us talking here, we're not emotionally invested into what's going on. We're looking at it completely holistically of like, okay, wait a second. So this is happening and this is happening, which means that this is probably going to happen. And so just start looking at things from a very hyper logical perspective and don't overthink things. Don't get influenced by the static that's going on. And despite everything that's going on in the world right now, there's also still really no better time to pursue your opportunities. Because if you heard like one really, really huge gold nugget that Taylor and I both touched on, there's a lot of people with a lot of money who have absolutely no idea what to do with it right now. And the barrier to entry to get that money, these guys don't care right now. They want to see a good opportunity with a good return, and they're not really vetting things. now. So obviously, please don't be a bad actor. Don't take my information and be a bad actor. But there is plenty of opportunity and money out there to help you launch whatever it is you want. 100%. Couldn't agree more. It's the best time in history to take advantage of opportunities. Kyle, thanks for coming on the show. You're brilliant. So let's talk again. And uh, Godspeed and best luck in everything that you do. Thank you. Cool. Thank you, my friend.